0: So welcome back to our second episode this week. If you're just now tuning in this week in honor of Brain Awareness Week hosted by the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, we are releasing an episode each day with a guest. We will be interviewing someone on a specific topic within neuroscience. On our second episode, we have Dr. Bruce McLennan with us today. All right, so uh, Dr. McClellan, if you could just uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us what you do here at UT, and uh, what is your um, teaching or research area that you're interested in?
1: Sure. Um, I'm an associate professor in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, and um, I teach a number of courses in um, in computing, mostly uh, senior-level graduate-level uh, courses. Um, Most relevant to this podcast, I teach a course in computational cognitive neuroscience. I also teach a course in bio-inspired computation and um, a course in machine learning and a course in unconventional computation, (laughs) so new ways of doing computing uh, with uh, quantum computing, for example, and um, uh, molecular computing and stuff like that. Um, and that pretty much is my research area as well. I uh, work on um, artificial intelligence and some swarm robotics, and um, uh, that's where I apply my interest in neuroscience as well.
0: Awesome. So could you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about like, what exactly is computational neuroscience?
1: Well, computational neuroscience in the broad sense is applying computer techniques to neuroscience problems. And uh, that can be done in many different ways. So, for example, um, uh, uh, in neuroscience, you get a lot of imaging data, for example, and uh, that data has to be processed. You want to uh, perhaps enhance the image or look for particular patterns in the image. Um, Perhaps, and this is where machine learning can come in, uh, train an AI system to recognize particular kinds of patterns. Uh, One example, for example, uh, for example, is, is you might take uh, very fine slices of uh, brain tissue and try and trace out all of the connections between the neurons, and so you've got a little circle on one slice that is is, a, is perhaps an axon from a neuron, and you have to match that up with a another little circle on the next slice, which is part of the same axon, mm-hmm. and so it, you can you can write programs to, to do this and in the, in the uh, try and find these connections. Uh, in the most likely way, so that's one thing. Um, one of the things I'm interested in, especially, is modeling different uh, aspects of the brain. So, if we think we understand uh, what processes are going on in some particular region of the brain, we can write computer programs to do similar things. Uh, and then, for example, uh, if, um, for example, there may be clinical information that says that you know, if there's a lesion in this particular part of the brain will, will uh, suffer some sort of uh, deficit. Well, we can do the same thing in the computer program. We can make an artificial lesion uh, in the computer program and see if it produces a similar kind of behavior. If it does, then that's some evidence that that's, in, in fact, a good uh, hypothesis about what's going on in the brain. If it doesn't, well, then we have to figure out what's going on.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so we can uh, model particular cognitive processes, for example, And um, in this way, often without either having to do invasive experiments on animal models or without having to wait for a patient with the right type of lesion or lesion in the right location, for example, we can uh, do experiments in the computer instead Mm -hmm. and test out hypotheses that way.
0: Wow. So in computational neuroscience, is it more about manipulating a program or uh, building a program from... Uh, the ground up from scratch?
1: Well I would say it's both so um, because there's a lot of work in computational neuroscience there's a lot of programs already out there and so um, I would recommend to anybody you know don't reinvent the wheel if there's a program already out there that that's appropriate you know you should either try using it or perhaps starting with it modify it in some way so these are mostly research tools produced uh, in other universities uh, or other research uh, places. And so usually you can get the software for free. And usually somebody is going to be very happy if you're using their software and extending it to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it may be that you're working on a problem where nobody has written the software to do it. And in that case, mm-hmm. you would, you would uh, probably be collaborating. As a neuroscientist, you would be collaborating with computer scientists. Um, to create a new program. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, and something maybe I should mention is that we use these computational models at many different levels. So, for example, there are um, uh, programs that model individual neurons and basically break the neuron up into into very tiny pieces. So they're very detailed, uh... mathematical models of what's going on in the neuron mm-hmm. and so if you're interested in, in those very low-level sorts of questions you might use a model like that but because they're so detailed they take a lot of computer time and mm-hmm. it's difficult to, to model very many neurons if you're not interested in the low-level stuff that's going on you would use a higher-level model that uses simpler models of the neurons but because of that it can model many more neurons mm-hmm thousands or tens of thousands or more um, and so you can have models at many different levels uh, and so you have to as, a, as is generally the case in science you have to pick models that are at the appropriate level for the questions you're trying to ask. Uh, now one of the problems is in neuroscience is there are so many levels yeah. uh, and uh, they're not totally independent of each other so um, Uh, it can be a a difficult scientific problem to figure out exactly what level you should be at and how much of the adjacent levels you have to include Mm
0: -hmm. very true yeah so um, you mentioned that just like having a computational component to almost like any field is pretty important so how would the importance of having a computational scientist be uh, be different in something like a biology-based, like neuroscience, versus something like physics or just pure math.
1: Well, um, th- I would say one of the principal difficulties, and and some physicists would probably argue with this, is that biology is much harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's more complicated, you know in many cases in physics, you're dealing with systems, well first of all, they're not living, you Mm -hmm. know. And In many cases, the the materials are physically simpler. Um, So, part of the problem in neuroscience is first of all, you're dealing with living things, you're dealing with complicated molecules, you know, proteins, neurotransmitters, things like that. And um, a lot of what 's important about neuroscience doesn 't come from just one neuron, mm-hmm. you know nevertheless, one neuron's incredibly complicated, but in terms of intelligence, one neuron doesn 't give you very much, so the problem is that you've got to you 've got something that 's complicated to begin with, and you 've got to have lots of them to to uh, to um, really be able to get at the problems of interest, cognition, for example. Mm. Um, and then of course is the fact that this you're dealing with a brain in an organism that's behaving in an environment Mm -hmm. and so in many cases the questions you're interested in have to do with the relation of the of the organism to its environment Mm -hmm. so um you can't sort of just say, oh, well, we don't care about the environment. Um, We'll just sort of think of a brain isolated from its environment because you may be leaving out a lot of important stuff. So it is this problem that you have things from very complicated physical systems, like complicated molecules, um, through the cellular level, you know, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly complicated, and then on up to the level of whole brains and then even the organism. And you can even, you know, social uh, interactions too are important. And so um, I would say that's part of what makes it difficult is that the other sciences are usually just dealing with one small area. And in some sense neuroscience does really span all of these levels of complexity. And, um, you know, in many cases you can restrict it in some way. But um, you can't just assume that.
0: So I know before we sat down with, to do the podcast, I kind of voiced my concerns that maybe AI was going to take over the world. Robots were going to come uh, take over and uh, humans would be obsolete. Um, and you assured me that that is not going to happen. <laughs> and I just want, uh, wondered if you could speak on that. Um.
1: Yeah, I sure. Guess. Um, you know, so well I won't I won't ensure you it will never happen. <laughs> but but um I, I will uh say with some confidence that it's not gonna happen uh, anytime soon. And the reason is really there is just so much we don't understand about the brain. And when you look at the accomplishments of AI uh so far, and, and really there's been some remarkable advances in the last decade, um, they're all on still very narrow uh kinds of activities. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, we are very far away from making an intelligence, an artificial intelligence, that I would say is capable of powering a robot that's, con- that's that has the intelligence of a, of a, say, a mammal, a small mammal, mm-hmm. probably even a reptile, you know. Um, and um, and I can t- talk a little bit about why I think that is. Um, so now that said, though, uh, my caution is that um, we may be just one breakthrough away from understanding the brain well enough that that you know somebody could come out tomorrow with a theory that says, well, look, you know, really this explains what's going on in all of these different regions of the brain.
2: Mm-hmm
1: and then somebody like me can say thank you very much Uh, i'm going to go now and 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 implement this in some electronics (laughs) (laughs) and and um we could have something but um but i don't but it's a breakthrough you know Mm -hmm. and breakthroughs are are unpredictable so it could be tomorrow it could be 10 years from now could be 50 years from now i don't think it's going to be 50 years from now (laughs) Uh, but um but i don't think it's going to be tomorrow either so that 's why I say i 'm not too worried about um, AI taking over the world um, you know anytime soon. We just don 't understand enough. You know One of the things that i 've done some research on is how to get a robot to reach and grasp an object, which would seem like such a simple thing. We do it all the time we don 't mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, we do it competently, most of the time we don 't drop what we picked up, you know. Uh, but the amount of sensory-motor coordination mm-hmm. to do that is enormous. And it's something that robots still cannot do very well. Mm-hmm. It's, there's more progress being made on it, um, largely using neural net techniques, which are, which are based on the brain, mm-hmm. but we still do not have the uh, theory, really, that tells us how to make a robot competently reach and grasp and pick up an object. Mm-hmm. Um, or any other thing of comparable uh, complexity. So, you know, we're talking about things that these aren't, you know, advanced s- skills of human beings, these are things that, that, you know, any normal human can do and lots of mammals can do mm-hmm. as well. Um, and uh, So I just, I spend uh, time sometimes just watching my dog hold a toy and chew on it, you know, and <laughs> yeah. figuring what, you know, how is this working, you know, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, um, I think we don't have uh, very good theories about how the brain controls the body, for Mm -hmm. example. And um, talking about complexity, what we do, I think, understand much better now, and this, again, is part of the advancements of the last decade or so, is the role of the body as a foundation for intelligent behavior. Mm -hmm. And um, so, again, a lot of the uh, AI systems now they don't really have bodies of any significance. And um, needing to be able to coordinate a physical body in a phys- real physical world, not in some sort of idealized situation, and not in a simulated world, is something that, again, any animal can do. That's mm-hmm. a primary purpose of the nervous system. And we don't do very well with our AI systems. And you might say, well, who cares about that? Maybe we don't want uh, an AI system to do that but I think we understand much better now that the mechanisms that are used for controlling the body are the foundation on which higher order things are built. And that was one of the mistakes of older approaches to AI. They thought they could have so just sort of a floating intellect without the bo- embodied part.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, we understand better now why that doesn't work. Partly from trying it, yeah. Uh, but but I think we also understand how that embodied intelligence is a foundation for um, what we think of as the higher cognitive activities. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: So, how did you get uh, involved in you know all of this so about uh, neural networks and just like combining two seemingly different fields um, into something that just like works so harmoniously together?
1: Well, you know, I, I was thinking back on that, and uh, you know, sometimes you when you reach my age anyway, you start thinking, how did I ever get here anyway? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, uh, there used to be, when I was growing up, this, what's generally considered a very bad analogy of talking about computers as giant brains, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think perhaps that idea was somewhere in the back of my head, because one of the first computer programs I wrote as an undergraduate was uh, a neural net program, Mm -hmm. uh, an attempt to model some simple neural networks and and, um, and uh, get them to, to do something. It never worked, but I, it, it was actually the seventh program I remember that I worked on, and so it was uh, very early in my computing career. I got my undergraduate degree in mathematics because there were no computer science, or very few computer science degree programs at the time, and that was kind of the closest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to graduate school, where I did uh, get a computer science, uh, MS and PhD. And uh, But I was working on different aspects of computer science at that time, uh, programming language design and, and other stuff like that. Uh, in the uh, mid-1980s, um, I was thinking about artificial intelligence and about why the techniques that were used in artificial intelligence at that time were not working. And um, so, basically, I asked myself the question, "Well, you know, um, what would make AI work?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I didn't know, but I knew the brain was intelligent, yeah. so I said, "Well, you know, obviously we should look at the brain." And um, I wasn't the only one thinking that in the mid-1980s. Now, people had thought that same idea decades before and had um, uh, had given up on it. But in the mid-80s, people were starting to think about the brain again and saying, well, look, you know, this AI stuff is not working right. It's not working.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and maybe we ought to look at the brain, you know. And so um, um, a bunch of us started doing that and started doing things like learning about neuroscience mm-hmm. and um, taking our mostly kind of naive ideas about neuroscience that we had learned you know, long before, and saying, well, what are neuroscientists doing now? Mm-hmm. And that's really has been the process I've been in since for the last 30-plus years. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to keep abreast with all of the developments in neuroscience, um, mostly because they're really interesting, but also because I can then sort of mine neuroscience for ideas that then I can apply in my computer science work. And this, as I mentioned, I teach a course on bio-inspired computing. And that's sort of the same idea, but applied more broadly. Mm-hmm. Look at things that nature does well, try and understand how it works, and then apply those same ideas in computer science. So awesome. I, that's why I work on things like swarm robotics. Mm-hmm. Study the way ants behave, study the way termites behave, learn from that, and then apply it to controlling robots. Lots of little robots.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Yep.
1: So, um, so that's really kind of the you know sort of the like I said the story of the last uh, thirty years of my life is is working, um, hanging out a lot with neuroscientists and, and biologists, uh, and reading that literature, and uh, and then trying to apply those ideas, and I think also you know the the information goes in the other direction as well, because when things work in AI, or when they don't work in AI. That often is information for neuroscientists. You know, mm-hmm. that, that uh, it's like, well, you had this theory, we've tried it, it really doesn't work very well. You know, but if you tweak it in this way, you know, it works very well. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should look and see if that's going on in the brain. You know, um, because again, we can test things much more easily with computers than you can uh, with real brains. And so uh, it, it provides a, a, good, a good test bed for many neuroscience ideas. So uh, now we've had, in the last decade, we have another resurgence of interest in these sort of neural network mm-hmm. uh, based approaches to AI, uh, which is very exciting to me because it's kind of like what I've been hoping would happen yeah. all for, for a long time is now actually happening. You know, for years we were saying, well, you know, this ought to work really well, but we didn't have the computer power to really test it. Mm-hmm. Now people are showing it really works well. Yeah. Um, So that's very exciting and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, more progress but we can't be overawed at what we've accomplished so far Mm -hmm. because when you look under the surface a little bit you see there's some real limitations and Mm -hmm. this is why I'm telling my students we've got to keep going back to the brain. Mm -hmm. And every time, you know, when we look at an AI system that may be doing something very exciting looking look at it more closely and say well it's really got some significant limitations
2: mm-hmm.
1: it can be fooled for example mm-hmm. you know and i tell my students okay why aren't animals fooled in the same way you know we need to understand what's going on in the animal's brain so to understand why animals are not fooled in this way so we can maybe take those same ideas and use them to improve our ai systems mm-hmm. so that's part of my research program and what I encourage my students to do is keep going back to the brain. One problem with um, engineers uh, is, <laughs> is you know, they'll get take a good idea from something like neuroscience and say, okay, I know it now, uh, I never really liked that biology stuff anyway, so I'll just go and, and take this one idea and use it, and then never go back and see what's been done in the last ten years in biology, yeah. you know. And so um, I try and guard, guard against that tendency. <laughs> you know, we, we, especially those of us that are sort of more mathematically oriented, we like things nice and neat, you know. Mm-hmm. But so um, we, um, we are kind of sometimes scared off by the complexity of biology.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that makes me feel kind of better that uh, someone who's not immediately in the biology field like, actually thinks highly <laughs> of biology. Right, right. <laughs> oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, because I've definitely heard. Uh, just like people think um, that it's only like, you know, math and physics are like the ruling sciences. And it's just like, I do respect both of those fields a lot, but it's just like, biology's got some good stuff too.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, and and I think, um, you know, um, it's a a real difficult thing to try and avoid on the one hand taking biology and shoehorning it into our mathematical models, Mm -hmm. which makes them very neat. But, you know, but not really true to their own form. Mm-hmm. But not true to their own form, and and you see, this is part of what happened in um, in AI, and part of why in the mid '80s people were saying this isn't working, is they took some very simple models of cognition. You know, they basically uh, said that thinking is just a process of reasoning.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it was
1: very neat mathematically. It was all logical. You know, it was the sort of thing computers did very well, and people said, oh well, this is just what's going on in in people's heads, we don't need to know about all that messy brain stuff, you know, (laughs) Uh, because they said basically, you know, the brain is equivalent to a computer and-
0: Introduce yourself, tell us what you do here at UT, and uh, what is your um, teaching or research area that you're interested in?
1: But it's a lot messier, so we'll just work on computers. Mm -hmm. And they didn't understand that that messiness is part of what gives brains Mm -hmm and human cognition flexibility you know it's sort of that slippery you know not quite firm stuff I'm not talking about the material but I'm talking about (laughs) the processing
2: Uh
1: uh, that gives us flexibility in our in our behavior and made computers when they tried to do computer reasoning and 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 robotics and things like that very rigid and inflexible you know and, and if you've ever worked with a computer and you all have you know, you'd get one character wrong, and it's wrong. You yeah. know, it's very inflexible, and um, that's the way AI systems were. They were brittle. You know, something's not quite right; they're stupid. You know, they just make a stupid response. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of it was, you know, taking preconceived ideas about what was going on in human cognition, and um, and then trying to do AI on that basis. So I think that messiness, you know, that makes it complicated, makes it not so neat, is also part of the strength of, of, of biological intelligence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and that's, that's also, you know, it's, we have to kind of go against our tendencies, those of us that like the neat mathematics. Yeah, for
0: sure, yeah. <laughs> So, for anyone who um you know, like because you you talked about it from the computer science to like kind of understand how the brain sort of works, how would you um what kind of advice would you give to someone? much like ourselves, who are neuroscience uh, students but don't really have a lot of background in computer science but would like to get involved uh, in the field of computational neuroscience.
1: Well, what I would suggest, of um, course, ideally would be to do something like double major. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
0: laughs> it's a little too late to do that for both of us.
1: <laughs> but, but um, you know, or to get a, like a minor in computer science. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, beyond that, what I would suggest is to try and get some, some computer science training Uh, so um, you know it's useful to be able to take your data and know what tools are available there's a lot of of tools that are available for free now uh, software packages for machine learning for data analysis and things like that and um, so you you really need to learn to use those tools Um, now it's not necessary, you know, if you're like going into a research position, you've got your PhD in neuroscience, you're probably collaborating with somebody else, maybe they have a PhD in computer science, mm-hmm. and so you can work with people that have the expertise, because you're probably going to be on a team. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: but even so, it's useful if you understand what they're doing, right? you know. And so, um, I would say to look for short courses, or, or even just online learning, you mm-hmm. know. Um, uh, various sorts of uh, free online courses uh, uh, MOOCs and things like that that you can um, learn a little bit about these techniques um, so there's um, you know there's some programming languages that are relatively easy to learn mm-hmm. for uh, R is one of them Python is another one um, and um, they have a lot of packages that go with them, so you, you can learn sort of the basic ideas of programming, mm-hmm. and then use these packages, and that will also then help you to um, learn some of these uh, computational tools we talked about. For instance, simulators of different parts of the brain or different neural systems at, at various sorts of levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you know if you're going into neuroscience research, you know you may be dealing with vast amounts of data. Mm-hmm and using supercomputers to analyze it um, and in that case you're probably going to be working with somebody that's a specialist in that area so they're going to be the ones with sort of the hardcore programming skills mm-hmm. that can use um, multiprocessor supercomputers and stuff like that to uh, to really grind through a lot of data mm-hmm. but again it's you know it's it's useful if you have some understanding of the computational techniques
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know you they you can understand what they're doing You know, and um, it's just like with with anything else, with any tool, it's useful to have a little knowledge of how it works, right? Mm -hmm. So um, um, you can use it well. So that's what I would say, I guess, is, um, you know, if if in your undergraduate program you can can fit in um, a little bit of uh, computer science education, that would be a good thing. Uh, But there's lots of other opportunities as well. And I think, you know, in any of the sciences now, but certainly neuroscience, uh, computational skills are important. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you look at, um, you know, what um, many graduate programs in computer science are, are suggesting, there's a computational component for that, both for modeling and for data analysis of various sorts. Um, so, yeah. computing is in your future whether you like it or not
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm definitely regretting not picking up that double major in computer science (laughs) oh for sure (laughs) yep all right um so yeah so that concludes our second episode for for the brain awareness campaign and a big thank you to dr bruce mcclellan for coming and talking about um this fascinating topic with us about computational neuroscience If you're interested in learning more about the Brain Awareness Campaign, be sure to visit the Brain Awareness website, which is brainawareness.utk.edu, for all the details. And thank you for tuning in.